All right, um, we're going to go back into Ephesians this morning. I just took a, a detour or two the last couple of weeks. Last week I spoke about the love of God for us. Um, and uh, I'm jumping back into Ephesians here. <clears throat> we're in Ephesians 4, if you want to turn there. Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. That's what I'm going to talk about today. If you can rewind a, a few weeks when I was doing the verses just uh, previous to these two, we were talking about the futility of the mind. Um, Paul just finished telling these Ephesian believers that they're, they no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do and the futility of, of their mind being darkened in their understanding, uh, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and uh, because of the blindness of their heart. And he just kind of lists all of these different ways of basically saying the darkness of the human natural mind or the darkness of the human heart. But then Paul the Paul then states that he knows that the ones to whom he is writing are in a different category. He says of them, he says, but you have not learned Christ in this way. Uh it begs the question, in what way? Well, they have not learned Christ in the futility of their mind. These people have not learned Christ in the futility of their mind. So I'll just read the two verses here. Ephesians 4.20 But you have not so, or in this way, learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, most of your Bibles probably and unfortunately read, if indeed you have been taught by him, uh, as the truth is in Jesus. But the Greek word there is actually the word in. And I think it's one of those situations where the translator is probably trying to be helpful but ends up obscuring something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't mention it if I didn't think that the difference was significant. Uh, it, it's one thing to be taught by someone or even to be taught by Christ. It's, it is a very different thing altogether to learn Christ by having been taught in Him. Those are very different things. So this verse and the, and the two, um, and I guess these two verses and the two verses that follow, are, in my opinion, one of the, if not the clearest, one of the clearest statements of what transformation is all about in, in the Scripture. What transformation means. Um, you could say this is the heart of what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. So it's absolutely imperative that we come to understand and we let the Lord show us what this is talking about and it's, obviously, it's even more more important that we we um, experience the reality of it working in us. I think that you could sum up everything of spiritual growth and purpose, <clears throat> living in spiritual reality. All of that it has to do. All of that has to do with that one little phrase: learning Christ. Paul is trying here to make a distinction. He wants you to understand something about that phrase. He wants you to realize that learning Christ 
is an impossibility in the futility of your mind. He wants you to stop before you even start down the dead-end road of, of trying to learn Christ through studying or, or, or uh, applying Christ's teachings to your life or memorizing scriptures. That's not how a soul learns Christ. Before I try to describe what learning Christ involves, I, I, I usually find it somewhat helpful to try to spend some time describing what, what something doesn't mean, what learning Christ is not. And uh, since there's nobody I know better than myself, I often use my own ignorance and, and, you know, in my life as an example. For the, for the majority of my life as a Christian, I would, have, I would have absolutely told you that I was interested in soul transformation. <clears throat> um, I would have absolutely told you, and, and, I, and I, was, I was living according to what I thought helped this process, but I would have told you that I wanted to learn Christ. I probably would have bet my life on it. But at the same time, I didn't know what that was, and I didn't know how that worked. Um, <clears throat> I... I liked the idea of it. I, I, I was familiar with the idea. I was very fond of the idea of knowing the Lord. And I was probably very quick to assume that it was happening in me whenever I got excited about Scripture or, or, or desired really deeply to follow God or I worked hard uh, in ministry or I learned something new uh, of the Lord or I experienced something of the gifts of the Spirit or, uh, or all of those things different times in my life probably would have given me enough uh, uh, of a reason to say that I, I feel like I'm being transformed. I feel like I'm learning Christ. And, and the idea that was the, the idea that was behind my misunderstanding, I think, is is that God... Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Let me just say this first, and then I'll explain what I mean. But my, I... I, the idea was that God was going to meet with me. He was going to, to meet with me during prayer or, or fasting. He was going to accompany me, accompany me in, in ministry. Um, he was going to shower love on me uh, in my life or anoint me to teach or anoint me to heal the sick. He was going to grant me the right understanding of Scripture and those kind of things. And I was looking for him in all those ways. I was wanting to learn Christ like that. And uh, because of that, and, and not really because I was driven by works religion, I, I gave myself to, uh, to praying and fasting and studying, the, studying Scripture quite a bit. Um, I gave my life, I gave my time to the things that I thought would put me in the way of the Lord. I thought that I would sooner or later come to know Him that way, come to know the Lord as I, as I encountered Him in my day, encountered Him in ministry, encountered Him in my prayer life, as I served Him, as I, as I tried to study His Word. And I, and I think that just about everyone makes that assumption. I don't think that's a weird, weird thing to assume. I think that that's kind of where we all we all come from, and maybe you're thinking, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing is inherently wrong with 
prayer or service or study. Obviously, I still do those things to this day, but what's wrong is the idea, it's the, it's the assumption, it's the presumption that God is somewhere external to myself and he approaches me and instructs me through words and lessons and encounters and in the midst of ministry. What's wrong with that is that I sought to know God as everything other than the one way that he can be known if you really are interested in the transformation of your soul. I didn't know what it meant, nor had I ever during that time in my life had anyone explained to me, except for the pages of the Bible, which I misunderstood, uh, nobody explained to me that I needed to know Christ as my life. That was a foreign reality to me. I, I wouldn't have said that. I, I, see, it was a foreign reality, but, it, but unfortunately it wasn't a foreign concept. I, I say that because I wish that it was a foreign concept. Maybe if it was a foreign concept, it would have caught my attention. when I, I would have taken it seriously when I came across the Bible and it started declaring things like Colossians 3.3, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed. Maybe that would have struck me in a, in a, in a, in a deeper way if it wasn't such a familiar concept. But part of my problem was that I was familiar with the idea of Christ being life. I was familiar with the concept of Christ living in me. On a true and false test, I probably would get the same score back then as I would now, if given the same questions. But learning Christ has nothing to do with true and false answers. What I'm trying to explain is that I, I had thanked Him as my Savior. I had adored Him as my bridegroom. I had feared Him as my King but I had not learned him as my life. And I honestly didn't even know uh, until some years ago now what that even meant. And the, the unspeakable difference that is involved in knowing Christ as, as, as the life of your soul. The sad reality is that I later found that I didn't really understand anything about what it meant for him to be my savior or my bridegroom or my king until I began to see all of that in relation to the fact that he was my life. He was my savior because he was my life. He was my bridegroom because he who is joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. He is my king because he reigns in my soul, taking captive everything contrary to himself and putting it under his feet. Conforming my soul to his reign and rule. You see, Jesus is many things to you and I. You can use many words to describe him, but he's many things to us only in that he is first our life. You cannot understand the many things that Christ is. They're just going to be ideas to you. They're going to be terms, maybe even experiences in your flesh, maybe dreams that you've had, verses that you love. They're not going to be experiences of your soul unless each of those words corresponds to an inward experience of the risen life of Christ. So he's not your king 
in that he tells you what to do after dinner. That's not the kind of kingship he's trying to establish. That's not how it works. He's not your savior because he opened a door for you to go to heaven. See, that's a very, very shallow view. He's not your bridegroom because you're waiting for him to marry you in the sky one day. All of those misunderstandings come out from first misunderstanding the nature of our relationship with Christ. And first and foremost, the most foundational reality beneath all others is that he is the life of the believer. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ lives in you. And only in that context, only in the experience of that reality can the Spirit of God make any sense out of the the familiar terms of judge and king and bridegroom and savior and lord. See, these, these will cease being outward things for you to study and they will become inward things for you to realize as you face him in those individual roles, as you know him and experience him in those individual roles. So your soul, it faces him in all that he is. And it, and it does that when you come to reckon with the reality, not the idea, but the reality that he is life. So that kind of sets the stage for what I wanted to share, and that is this thing where Paul is talking about learning Christ. What does it mean to learn Christ? What does it mean to know him? The, next, the verse we read here says it better than, um, better than I could ever say it better than I could ever explain it. I think it needs explaining only because, partly because it's been mistranslated in our scripture and, and also because it's been misconstrued by religion. But, but listen, now just to try to listen to what Paul says here in verse 20 and 21. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Knowing Christ is not, it's not where things of Christ are shown to you from the outside. I mean from outside of yourself. But when he reveals himself from the inside. So you have to realize this thing about, about Jesus. I know we say it here all the time, and, 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 and I guess probably churches all over the, the world say, say it all the time, but it's just, it's just a... So much of the time it's just an idea. We have to realize that Christ is actually living in your soul. See, Christians love that as an idea, but we don't really do anything with it. I mean, I know about myself, again, for, for many years, I maybe would have said that I feel him there, you know, every once in a while, or maybe even often. Or maybe I would say that he gave me an idea. That wasn't me, that was Christ, you know, or... That kind of thing, but we really don't know what to do with the fact that Scripture tells us time and time and time again that the living God resides in the soul of redeemed humanity. We don't do much with it. And so when we teach about him, we teach about him as the man who walked the, the streets of Nazareth and, and he had a, you know, a beard and a toga. And, and, and we can, you know, that's easy for us to imagine. We picture... We picture Jesus with, uh, you know, with sandals walking around on roads and speaking words. And that's, see, that, that's, 
the Jesus that's easy for us to preach because that's the Jesus that we can imagine because that's familiar, that's familiar to all of us in the flesh. Or if we don't teach that Jesus, then we talk about him in his place, place far away called heaven, ruling with an iron scepter, riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. And, and, and we can kind of imagine that too. I mean, that's, that's pictorial. In fact, that language is, is only employed in Scripture because you can picture it. And it's supposed to be a window to something that you can't picture. But we make that all natural and we imagine those things to be, you know, we can conjure up those ideas pretty easily. But who in the world can imagine the resurrected Son of God residing in the soul of man, teaching himself through, through the coming of spiritual light? No one can imagine that. So we don't really talk about that very often, except for the fact that it's mentioned on every single page of the New Testament. It's everywhere. So we... We stick to the beard and the sandals and the pearly gates because we find that much easier to understand and we find it more interesting to preach. Everyone loves the stories. Some people might say, I, I've had people say to me before, well, where, where, does it, where does Scripture describe Christ in that way? I mean, the way where He is the life of your soul, bringing your soul to the light of life. Where, where is that? I mean... Friends, that's, that's just about everywhere in the entire New Testament. It's funny how you, um, how you miss... Uh, my, I got this email from, from Ben this week. It's a, it's a study on uh, people like me, actually, I think, that, that kind of focus in on one thing and then like, don't notice um, other, other things that... I'm going to have to reel this back in, so I'm trying to put a bookmark here in my mind. Uh, people that get their attention on one thing and, and don't notice the other things around them. You know, some people are like that. I, I, multitaskers are not, but I, I, like, I'll miss my exit if I'm thinking about something you know, on the road. But anyway, there's this email, and, and you're supposed to... There's a bunch of people passing around. There's three guys passing around a basketball with white shirts and three guys passing around a basketball with, with black shirts. Anyway, they're passing, around, uh, they're passing around a basketball, and you're supposed to count how many times the white... The white uh, shirted people pass the basketball and they're moving around passing it and kind of going in in and out of each other and 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 while you're sitting there counting the white basketball this guy in a in a gorilla suit walks in and goes like this and just in the middle of the screen and then walks off the stage and uh and i did not notice it and the, the point is that people that are like me i guess don't notice it and then afterwards Afterwards, the guy says on the video, did you see anything in that video that was strange? And then there's a few people that chuckle and raise their hand and saw it, and then the rest of the people are like, what are you, what are you talking about? And then he rewinds it and shows you. And you, I did, literally did not believe it was there until I had to go back to the beginning of the tape and watch it from the beginning. I thought he just kind of put it in. A, anyway, why did I mention all that? Because that's how we are with Scripture. We can be all excited about whatever we're reading in Scripture and miss something as big as a guy in an ape suit <laughs> jumping out and um, trying to make himself known. Um, scripture says it everywhere. Paul talks about, the, or John talks about the light of life that enlightens every man. Paul talks about the light that is shining in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ.
Paul talks about the day star rising and the day dawning in our hearts. He talks about beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being changed into the same image. He talks about our hearts turning to the Lord and the veil is removed and we're being transformed from glory to glory. Uh, Christ, who is our life, is revealed and we are revealed together with Him in glory. There's, there's so many verses and they all say very much the same thing. Let me just say it really as plainly as I know how. Learning Christ is where the soul of man becomes deeply acquainted with and profoundly influenced by the life that resides within it. Learning Christ means that. Prior to new birth, you know, it, it was just you. It was obviously, it was just you. You and I were dead in trespasses and sin. We were without God. We were without hope in the world, Scripture says. And, and new birth is exactly what it says. It's new birth. It, it, it's another life. It's not a better you. It's another life altogether, another seed. and It's something altogether different. And that seed, that son, literally lives in you as the only life that is in you. See, prior to him... You were a living being, but you had no life. And there's a difference. You, you were a biological organism with an eternal soul. We had nothing of life because life is a property of God. And the only way that you have life is not when God gives you some, but rather when God himself lives in you. And that is precisely what new birth is. If you were born again, uh, and I prefer the, the uh, translation born from above, which is the right translation, because born again um, gives, gives the uh, impression to some that you're, it's a different you or it's, a, it's another try. But it's really born from above. It's, it's, it's a whole other life. And what happens in that experience is that your soul becomes made a partaker of God's eternal spirit. But here's the question. Do you, do you think that your newly created soul knows anything about eternal life? Anything about the one who is eternal life that has just made your soul into his eternal home? Do you know anything about that life? You know, God is God. God is eternal and He knows all things and He is all things. And, and, and how much of that, how much of anything do you suppose your soul knows when it is first born of His Spirit? I'm going to answer that question for you. Absolutely nothing. Not one thing. When you are born again, the only thing you know is of any, that, that is seen with any real light at all is a, is a small awareness of your need and His provision. That's it. That's enough for you to be born of His Spirit. That's the, that's the embryo of life entering into your soul. You have only that amount of understanding to start with, though. And it really doesn't matter. If you're born again and you've been a, you've been a theologian or you've been a pastor for 49 years, that gives you no advantage at all in learning a life that you've never experienced. You could have just finished yesterday memorizing the Bible and then are born of God's Spirit today. And in a very true sense, although the Bible is a good thing to know, 
you're not any more advantaged than anyone else in knowing the life of God that is in you. Please don't think for a minute that brains have anything to do with this. This isn't about brains. Uh, someone uh, told me recently that uh, something's easier for me to understand in knowing the Lord because they think that I'm smarter or whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with it. First of all, that's not even true. But second of all, a brain is... See, I'm glad I have a brain. I, I don't know if I could do a whole lot of natural things without it. Brains are, are helpful for natural endeavors. And for that reason, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I have a brain. But I, I also find it gets in the way of my spiritual endeavors. It doesn't have to do that, but it has a funny way of thinking that it can know spiritual reality. When spiritual reality is only ever deposited into your soul by the Spirit of God. When it comes to knowing Christ, the brain has to catch up to the soul. And whether it ever does or not, honestly, it doesn't really matter. The soul is where Christ is known. The brain may be helpful in communicating something that the soul knows. But the brain is not where Christ is known. So anyway, I was asking you how much you think you know about eternal life, the eternal life of God that resides in your soul after you're born again, and the answer is that you know virtually nothing. And I just wish that we could accept that. I, only, I wish that we wouldn't substitute the knowledge about God for the knowledge of God. I, I, knowledge of God is, I mean, knowledge about God is anything that comes, comes to you from the outside. And I'm not just talking about book knowledge or theological knowledge. I'm talking about experiential knowledge or, or direction or power encounters or miracles or reading or even hearing, uh, hearing something true unless that hearing, unless that hearing uh, brings about faith. Faith comes by hearing. Not always, but it can, and it should. It's possible in all of those things that I just mentioned that, that uh, the heart can turn to see Him and, and come to know Him as your life. But, but in none of those things in themselves, in none of those things is, is how Christ is, is actually learned, how the soul actually learns Christ. Learning Christ does not happen with effort or diligence or discipline or study or experience, although all of those things have their place. Learning Christ happens in the light of His appearing. It happens when the Spirit that is in you is allowed to shine in the darkness of the human soul. I sometimes draw this, I cleared off a little spot here, so I, I sometimes draw this diagram here, you know, where you have your body, the outer circle, and your, and your soul, and then you have Christ, the spirit that dwells within you. When I'm, when I'm talking about learning Christ... What I'm saying is that you don't ever learn Him from anything that comes from this direction. I mean, God can do a whole lot of things out here that are amazing. Truly amazing. From out here, you can see the dead race. From out here, you can see the, the, any miracle. You can see God providing 
multiplying uh, loads and providing food or, or, or finances. Or, uh, those are all things that you can witness from this direction towards the soul. But what I'm saying is that in none of those things is the soul actually learning Christ. Christ is learned only one way. He is learned from the inside out when the light of His life overtakes your soul and fills you with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Nothing from the outside, not even experiences of God. See, this is where the church, we get so confused. We think that if we can just experience Him, we think that if we can just find the meeting where, where we'll encounter power or, or find the leader, where we'll encounter wisdom, that, that somehow in, in that we'll, we'll know Christ. But knowing Christ is when the center circle there, which is Christ Himself, is permitted by your soul allowed by your soul to shine and conquer and consume and constrain the second circle. Knowing Christ is when the life that is in you teaches itself to the soul through the appearing of the Lord. And that's why I, I, I said it this morning in the, in the class and I say it all the time to people and I insist that truth isn't something you read and then you apply to yourself. It's not. I know that's super common, but that doesn't actually accomplish anything. That kind of application is like, it's like putting on a coat of paint. It might cover something, but it's not actually changing anything. You can't apply truth to your life. First of all, because you don't have a life to apply it to. So it doesn't even make sense to begin with. But second of all, because the only thing that actually transforms your soul is when it is literally when the soul of, of man is filled with the light of his life. And we say then, well, why doesn't that happen all the time? If, if all it takes is for the light to shine in my soul, let's have it. God, do it, you know. But it's not that simple. I mean, it is that simple, actually. It, it is exactly that simple, but it doesn't work that simply because most often we're looking the other direction. We're looking for Him to teach us and to know Him in something other than He is and in some other way than He is trying to show Himself to us. We're, we're looking the other way and we're protecting ourselves from the light by hiding in the darkness. We often talk about seeing the Lord, you know, as though, as though the Lord finally revealed His Son in us. I mean, I say it too. It's like, well, you know, I've been praying and finally last Thursday the Lord really turned the light on for me finally let me see this or that or he finally gave me the light to understand this but but actually a much more accurate way of describing that would be to say i finally allowed the light i finally permitted him to shine in my darkness i finally opened up the door and let him destroy my imaginations it sounds better the other way because then all the responsibility is on him but it's not not true we would much rather learn what he said and where he went and how he died and how he rose. We'd rather familiarize ourselves with those stories and find life application from those stories and then add to them our own suppositions about what he will do one day and what it might be like one day to meet him and, and all of that 
can be quite exciting, depending on who's presenting it. But see, all of that can be attained in the mind at no cost to your life. And in all of that, there is no real knowing of Christ. Christ is known. Christ is learned by the soul in the displacement of all that was formerly there. I'm not talking about the annihilation of your soul. I'm talking about the cutting from it of the entire kind and creation and covenant that fell short of the glory of God. I'm talking about what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, that God severed me from my mother's womb and revealed his son in me. I'm talking about one thing being completely circumcised from the soul so that another can stand in its place and be exalted and revealed. If you want to know God, if you want to learn Christ, it is going to cost you what you call your life. That's a fact. And there's no way around it. So Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And regardless of whether the eyes of our hearts have seen much of the reality of that at all, it is still the life and the place and the truth of you as a believer and me as a believer. You are in Him. You are made alive together with Him. You are raised together, seated together in the heavens, in Christ. Heaven being the spiritual realm of life and reality as it is in Christ. You can't separate heaven from Christ. Your body is on earth. Your soul literally lives in heaven. You will one day not have a body on earth. Your soul will then still be in heaven. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God and that is finished. And so because of this, the days of hearing about him have, for you, come to an end. For you, there is now the hearing of him. I don't mean hearing words from him. I mean hearing him. I don't mean God thundering out of the sky telling you something in English. I mean God thundering out of heaven, out of the realm and reality where he has brought your soul. I mean God speaking to you in Son. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by prophets, has in the last of these days spoken to us in Son. Again, your Bible, the New American Standard gets it right in this one. Uh, I don't think too many others do. They say, has spoken to us by his son. You can just cross that out. He has spoken to us in son. That's Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about. That's hearing him. Not with the ears that are hanging off the side of your face. Not with your mind. Hearing him speak from heaven. Showing you what and where you are showing you the realm and the reality and the life of Christ that you are in. God speaking from heaven. Hebrews 12:22. But you have not come to Mount Z uh, I'm sorry, but you have come to Mount Zion. You know, I should have backed this up a little bit. It says just before this a couple of verses earlier, you have not come to Mount Sinai to the voice of words. The voice of words but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, that's where you've come, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, 
God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than better things than that of Abel. Therefore, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. See, he already spoke in the earth. He already spoke in earthly ways and earthly words in a multitude of types and shadows and prophecies and pictures. And I'm not saying that God won't give you direction or, 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 or give you, a, you know, some specific thing about your you know, life or ministry through, uh, through words, but I'm talking about learning Christ here. I'm talking about learning Christ. He spoke about Christ in natural ways to natural ears, to natural eyes, to natural men. That's called the Old Covenant. He couldn't reveal a kingdom in you, but he described a kingdom to you. You see, he couldn't bring you through the death of his son at that time inwardly, but he'll part the Red Sea and show you what it looks like. But now, what he could only ever describe to you, he desires to reveal in you. And the only question of our hearts today is whether we are hearing that word. We've all heard words. We've heard words in the Bible. We've heard words possibly in, from, from voices that speak specific things from God. But have we heard the word that He speaks in Son? Can we hear the word that comes out from the heavens? Or, as Hebrews says, are we refusing him who speaks? Are we looking for words and laws and rules and religion? Are we looking to hear him in those ways? Or, Paul in Ephesians 4.20, are we looking to hear him and be taught in him as the truth is in Jesus? Remember what I said last week. You can't separate something that Christ is from Christ. That's so important. You just can't do it, and we're always trying to do it. And I gave the example last week of righteousness. So many of us are trying to figure out how to be righteous now that we're Christians, and that, that just doesn't make any sense. You can't separate righteousness from Christ. Christ, your life, is righteousness, and righteousness works in you to the measure that Christ works in you. We do that with so many things. We do that with purpose. What's my purpose? Somebody get a hold of a prophet so that I can figure out what my pur purpose is for my life. Someone find me the right book so I can find the purpose for my job or the purpose in my church. No. You, you, you can't separate purpose from, from the one who is God's purpose. You can't do it. Christ working in you, Christ known by and formed in the soul, that's your purpose. It will never be something you do. It will never be something you learn. It will never be something you teach. Those things may or may not be motivated by purpose, but not a single one of those things will ever be your purpose. You can't separate purpose from Christ. We could go right on down the list. We try to do the same thing with reward or inheritance. You know, I, boy, I can't wait till Jesus gives me my inheritance. What in the world could he possibly give you better than himself?
You can't separate inheritance from him who is the inheritance of the soul. He's not going to give you a reward. He is your reward. He's not going to give you a crown of life that is something other than himself who is life. Or good works. Jesus, you've got to tell me what, what good things that I can do. Well, Jesus, someone actually said that to Jesus, now that I think of it. What can I do to work the works of God? Believe in him who he has sent. Tell me what I can do that would be considered good fruit. Fruit is the increase of the seed, and it's nothing else. Nothing else on or around the plant can be considered fruit if it's not the increase of the seed. You know, I could go up to an apple tree and, and, and find a frisbee caught in an apple tree right next to an apple. And I, and I pluck it out of the tree and I hand it to you and I, and I say, enjoy the fruit. You'd think I was nuts. Why? Because you can't separate fruit from the increase of the seed. A frisbee is not the increase of the seed. I don't care how close to an apple you found it. It's the same thing with truth. I said all that because it's the same thing with knowing truth. Truth is not something that Jesus is going to teach you Truth is Jesus himself being taught to you. Truth is the appearing of Christ as the life of your soul. Jesus is not trying to teach you truth as a thing. He's not trying to make you understand true Bible verses and give you true books. Jesus is seeking to unveil himself to your soul so that you can see and know him and abide in him and have fellowship in the truth and walk in the truth and have fellowship with the Father and the Son in the spirit of truth. This isn't the foolishness and the futility of the natural mind. You see what Paul's saying here to the Ephesians? Speaking of the futility of the mind, he says, that's not how you learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him. That may, may be how, I could see Paul saying, that may be how some are thinking they're learning Christ, but I know you. That's not how you learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him. And if indeed you've been taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. You see? The revealing of the living Christ. Not man's systematized best guess. But the light of life showing us where we are and the Word of God speaking from heaven where we have been raised and where we have been seated in Him. The truth as it is in Christ becoming the truth as it is in our soul. Amen. Let's pray.